0: no nope nah no thank you i'm good i have literally fallen in love with the word no over the last four years it's something about turning 30 that just make you say no to everything it legit brings a smile to my face and doing so without guilt is the ultimate prize saying no to the things and people you've outgrown is not an easy feat especially if you are a people pleaser or you're someone who fully believes history trumps true happiness alignment is necessary in any relationship be it personal romantic career whatever shrinking to fit in places that no longer bring you joy or keeping people around you because you've been through so much together is one of the most difficult things to navigate in adulthood I want to talk about two very common areas we often shrink to appease others. Jonathan McReynolds has a beautiful song out called People. Its premise, Lord, deliver me from the thoughts and opinions of people. When you said you could deliver me from anything, did you mean people? The hateful, deceitful, crazy, self-righteous, disrespectful, entitled people and God, then forgive me if I become one of those people. That's good, right? His songwriting is literal perfection. It's my favorite thing about him. Now I have kept people around in my life longer than I should have for fear of not being loyal. Nowadays, bye girl, bye, with no hesitation. My ability to disconnect from a person who has been the source of hurt over and over again can be scary, but it's healthy. Allowing someone to repeatedly cause you pain is no longer their fault and now it's yours. It speaks to the way that you truly feel about yourself. Now, if you're listening to these in order, you'll remember the story of me working at my church in episode one and how the insecurities of others started to dim my light and my personality. Thankfully, the feeling didn't last too long, but it was the first of many instances where I would do this in order to not be a distraction. Right? I hate that word in church, distraction. Anyways, a decade later, and I now welcome being a disruptor in life and in work. I've taken the negative connotation of the word and used it as a reminder that well-behaved women seldom make history. Now, while I do pick and choose my battles, I speak up and out about almost anything that I care about. If I critique, I always offer a solution, and I come to the table with big, ambitious, lofty ideas. But guess what? I execute them. And then also, you know, receive awards for those same ideas. You know, humble brag there. One valuable lesson I've learned since adopting the term is that while I may have something to say, everything doesn't deserve or even require a rebuttal. That has been a hard lesson for me for sure. My passion has often been misconstrued as being defensive, but I tend to think that's an easy cop out when what you're suggesting is usually a preference And not at all mandated or required. Cue badus, you know I'm an artist and I'm sensitive about my shit. Now the second area some of us shrink or cower is in the workplace. In 2009, I worked at a call center. My job was simple, conduct surveys on behalf of insurance companies by reading the prompts on the screen. Three months into the position, I was promoted to quality assurance monitor. You know that phrase you hear when you call customer service? These calls may be monitored or recorded for quality assurance purposes. That's what I did. I was off the phones and now grading calls. I was the quality assurance purpose. It was also my first introduction into managing people. A few months later, I'd receive another promotion that would take me off the call center floor altogether and into a classroom. A $2 increase and I said yes to being the trainer for the company. This would serve as another first as my unintentional entrance into human resources. In this role, it meant as soon as our recruiters hired a group of people, I'd conduct a week-long new hire orientation. They'd fill out their tax forms, sign all mandatory paperwork, and I'd walk them through how to properly conduct a survey on the floor with exercises and scripts and shadowing, all that. My training classes ranged from five to, at the most, 25 people a week. After a week in the classroom, I sent them to the floor, and for two weeks, I'd monitor their calls, dress code, etc. Soon after the promotion to trainer, I started hearing whispers about me sleeping my way into the position. According to the call center floor, there was absolutely no way I'd gotten two promotions in six months without having sex with someone. I started to feel anxious and uncomfortable when I had to walk the floor with the new hires. The looks peering over the cubicles were nasty. I vividly remember going to my sounding board, Nicole, in HR. And I want to pause here and say I recommend developing relationships with someone in HR, whether it's your recruiter or otherwise. Trust me when I say it has gone on to help me tremendously at both of my jobs in radio and TV. Now, in true Nicole fashion, she explicitly told me to ignore the gossip, and she reassured me of my contributions to the department. Five years later, I'd shrink and dim and cower again. This time, the setting was different. I worked for Tom Joyner and was the youngest in the studio every morning. It took Tom a while to warm up to me as he's a creature of habit, and I was replacing his longtime digital content producer. So I got it. I completely understood A couple of months into the role, Tom and I would establish a rapport, and it would grow over the next three years. I knew I had won him over when I was invited to finally sit at the console. Now, normally, I would sit in the very back corner of the studio, like almost hidden. But here I was, permanently sitting alongside the in-studio guest every morning, the Tom Jordan Morning Show co-host, Sybil Wilkes, who I absolutely adore, the show's executive producer, and J. Anthony Brown whenever he came in town. My job was to put the show on the website. This included all of the interview segments, performances, and any stories discussed. Eventually, Tom would start to ask me my take on different things during the breaks. My point of view often made it into the show. There were even times when he'd ask me specifically to do something typically reserved for the executive producer. I'd of course do it, but this would be the start of a rocky relationship between me and the Black woman in the role. Again, if you listen to episode one, I talk about this story in great detail. My goal was to never upset anyone or make them feel slighted. But as soon as I realized that the declaration of me overstepping was an insecurity being projected on me, I walked in the studio with confidence and no longer was afraid to do my job and whatever else time needed me to do. Right? You know, because you're not about to tell me that I'm overstepping when I'm just doing what the boss want me to do. Take that up with the boss. Now, you know what? I really wished I had learned the beauty that is perspective during that time. I really wish I would have. It absolutely would have saved me from years worth of tears and anxiety and heartache. While at TV One, the feeling of being petrified to speak out came in year two. Now, if y'all know me, I ain't scared to speak out about nothing. So if I'm petrified and I'm worried about speaking out, you have to know that it is a serious situation. Now, by that time, I had received feedback that I was too defensive about my work and I needed to learn how to die on a hill for certain things. Now, that's a problematic statement in its own, but we'll leave it there. Now, there was a time I didn't contribute much to brainstorm sessions and meetings because I was tired of being labeled as defensive. And of course, me not contributing warranted a new conversation about me not being a team player. I had no idea how I could be a good team member when the very things I was hired for were the things that seemed to be a problem all of a sudden. I was confused and I was hurt. I soon realized that, again, other people's insecurity and jealousy were being projected on me, thus making it extremely hard to come to work every day and really produce. And because of chain of command, there was little that I could do that wouldn't start an uproar. By 2019, I'd had enough. After my two-year review, I went to HR and started what would become one of the best but scary decisions of my life. I advocated for myself loudly, and I started an uproar. The result will go on to be the most emotional two months of my career. I cried almost every single morning, literally. I dreaded going into the office because the environment was icy and uncomfortable. I could not show up as myself. And that right there is absolutely hard. It's hard to come to work every day when you can't show up as you. Now I had never faced this amount of Mean Girl Syndrome ever. And your girl was fed up, I was. I was vindicated in several key areas and others, I let it be. This would happen two days before I went to the Dominican Republic for my birthday. During copious amounts of tequila, I promised myself I would return to work with a shift in perspective. What they said, how they said it, and how they did it was no longer my concern. It happened, and I had to protect myself the best way I knew how. And now I was ready to move on. Upon my return, almost immediately, my coworkers commented on how light I seemed, how happier I was. And honestly, I knew it was God, and a lot of that tequila too. This was now the second time in six years I was taking this mean girl's test, and I was determined to pass it. A year later, I'd like to think, if you ask God how I scored, he gave give me like a solid B, right? I didn't do everything right, but I did my absolute best. I watched a project that the powers that be were once behind get buried because of politics. I accepted no longer being able to be on camera although it was in my job description and I had been in front of it two years prior because they randomly didn't feel comfortable anymore. And I say randomly, but it wasn't. I had to prove I could handle another cast reunion, even though the reason we were allotted money for the second one was because of the success of the first one, right? 2019 was just a lot. By the end of the year, I'd be vindicated in more ways than one. I truly, truly believe it was God rewarding me for letting him work, even when it made me sick to not rebut. I'd received my first industry award for the Living Single 25th Anniversary Cast Reunion. And in December, the subject of that one project I pitched, I interviewed her and told her my idea. She expressed so much excitement and joy, and even connected me with the head of marketing at her label. That same night, one of my favorite singers would ask why I wasn't in front of the camera. I shrugged, although I knew the answer. She'd hug me after the interview and say, remember, God is your boss, not anyone else. Now, both of those moments happened in front of the very people that mistreated me and caused me indescribable pain. Six months later, I'd received my second and third industry award, making me a three-time award-winning producer. I'ma just let y'all rest on that for a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm, all right. It's more than safe to say that I've outgrown where I am in life 10 times over. However, I've accepted that God had to grow me up, get rid of some stuff, and strengthen me in some areas before he allows me to walk away from this chapter. I trust him, and I fully know he's a man of his word. I have confidence because he always finishes what he started. He's present in every step and patient with me in every heartache. He has never failed me, and he ain't going to start now. If that ain't enough to keep going, child, I don't know what is.